1: The Cincinnati Bengals have set their final roster. They've assembled a practice squad, and we are marching towards Week One as the Bengals host the Minnesota Vikings preseason in the rearview mirror. John Sheeran, and a lot to talk about tonight. We're going to talk even further about it in a special show later this week with some special guests as well. But uh, how you doing, buddy? We're we're in the home stretch to the regular season.
2: Doing good, man. It's a stressful week. For us at CJ, covering all the stuff, but not more stressful than these players who are learning about the futures of their NFL careers. But you know, the Bengals did a lot of things with some players, put some players on on injured reserve. I noticed they didn't put you on injured reserve, so I, I figured that your arm was going to be okay. But by the <laughs> time return, was around, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I so think- you're just gonna be you're just gonna be inactive for the first first few weeks. <laughs> I'm
1: right, right, exactly. Uh, yeah I'm 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 waiting for this thing to heal up but uh Good to see you, man. Good to talk some bangles with you. And uh, it's been these past this past month has been incredibly busy, not only for Cincy Jungle, I know, but for our for our show. But it's been busy in a lot of good ways. A lot of a lot of cool guests. A lot of different shows. We're trying to ramp up a lot of different things to to cover the team and and everything as the regular season goes on here. But uh, hey, you know, th- there's a lot to talk about. I always you mentioned it's kind of a tough time for we we get excited about it and we. Lost in it a little bit is the heartbreak for a lot of these young men that are either trying to live out their NFL dreams or, unfortunately, and we'll talk about it in a second. But as is the case, some guys think they make it, and then the the rug gets yanked out from under them about 24 hours later, and that's not fun. Uh, I used to I used to coach, definitely not anywhere near the pro level, but um, making cuts as a coach was always one of the hardest things personally to do because you get attached to these guys and. Um, all that kind of stuff. so uh, I, I feel for both the player side and I feel for the coach side because none of this is easy and I'm sure there were a lot of tough decisions to make for sure.
2: Absolutely man. like I think it was, it was what like 24 waves. there's like a handful of inju- injury designations, a lot of good a lot of great stories from training camp and preseason that really really get last year. and I think for the most part, The consensus got a lot of them right. There were just maybe a handful of surprises that happened on Tuesday and even happened today. So, you know, it's always interesting to see how our projections look compared to what it actually is. It's never completely 100%, just like obviously mock drafts and stuff like that. But I I think for the most part, the the fan base, the community got most of it right. And that's kind of the benefit of of seeing it with training camp, with media there, and the preseason. It's, It's something that we didn't have. Last year, but we got more clarity, and for the most part, I think I think fans are pretty satisfied with
1: where the roster is right now. I didn't check. How accurate were you with your your final roster prediction to what happened? Uh, actually, played out. I feel like you were pretty damn close, but uh, I didn't I didn't keep score. How how close were you there? I
2: think I missed like six, maybe. Pretty uh, damn good, I, I want to say six. So
1: you know, it's like a eighty something percent. I'll take it. Yeah, that that's that's pretty good. That's pretty good. And there's always. You know, that small handful of players that, uh, you know, that that just kind of surprise you a little bit. Let's start with the roster and some particular spots. This is on cincyjungle.com. You can find the roster on a number of different outlets. But, of course, we're going to give you the cincyjungle.com link there, and it is in the live chat. We'll put that in there for you. I, I guess where to start is a little bit at, at up top where we can scroll down and look at those first two, um, first two position groups. John, Joe Burrow, Brandon Allen, and then the three running backs. The Cincinnati. Let's let's kind of start a little bit with the um, the quarterbacks. There, only two. I kind of expected that, even though Shermer had a had a pretty decent showing in that last game. I, I thought just because they needed to go heavier at some other positions, two quarterbacks was the the way they were going to go, and obviously that's the way they went. Were you surprised at all by that?
2: No, I think the only surprising thing, and we're going to talk about the practice squad in, in, a, in a minute, is that Shermer wasn't brought back on the practice mm-hmm. squad. So those two quarterbacks that you see on screen there, there's, those are the only two quarterbacks on in, in the building right now, and we don't know if there's going to be a third one coming via the, the final spot on the practice squad, but – yeah, easy. There's no need to carry more than than one backup if your backup's not really better than Brandon Allen.
1: Right. And we're going to talk a little bit more about potentially that issue or that backup quarterback type of storyline in one of our next segments. So uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that. But yeah, two two quarterbacks, pretty predictable there. This is where it surprised me a little bit, John, was the three running backs. And here's why. Um, I, I know Puka Williams didn't show much because of injury and just limited, very limited snaps in the preseason. So I kind of figured he was maybe more going to be a practice squad candidate. Jacquez Patrick showed he pretty much did everything you could possibly do uh, in his shoes to try and make this team had some, you know, just kind of roadblocks last year, couldn't play in preseason games and whatnot because of everything. So he really tried to show off this year and did, I just thought maybe for a fourth running back was going to be on here simply because they may have designated Chris Evans as a slash position, right? Like a wide receiver slash running back. And then maybe initially it would have gone a little lighter at wide receiver. But uh, how surprising was this to you, um, these three running backs here on on the roster?
2: So this is like the second, maybe third year. I don't know exactly um, that. Cedric Pierman hasn't been with the Bengals throughout those years that he was on the roster. They traditionally kept four because Pierman was the special team savant that was always active. He was like a captain for that unit ever since he's been gone. They haven't really had another running back that was specifically active for special teams purposes. And that's the only reason why you really would activate a fourth running back on game days. If you can keep a handful of running backs on the practice squad you really only need three on your active roster because that's all you're really going to need during the game. And Chris Evans is going to be used a lot at receiver, but we know this is Joe Mixon show and we know Samadji P. Grant signed a two-year extension to, t- to take some of that load off of him. And they're still going to use Chris Evans out of the backfield. But yeah, even if Jacques Patrick did everything right as a runner and what he was doing on offense, he still didn't have a lot of value on special teams and the same kind of goes for Travion Williams. So I think it was a question of whether they keep three or four, but Realistically, for this offense, they only really need three on game days. And if one isn't going to be a special teams expert like Cedric Beamer was back in the day, you don't really need to keep that fourth on the active roster.
1: So this obviously needs to be a little bit updated from some news earlier today, but it does still show, and initially this was how it shook out, uh, seven wide receivers, Mike Thomas and Trenton Irwin, making it, as did Stanley Morgan. Now, earlier today, Irwin and Thomas cut and initially, when I saw the seven wide receivers, three running backs, John, my, my thought was, well, Bengals are going to spread the spread the offense out a lot, utilize, uh, you know, three, four, five wide receivers pretty often and do a lot of different things and formations. Um, I just in my take on it at the time was what Stanley Morgan gives you on special teams and what Mike Thomas and Trent Irwin give you on offense just was more valuable than what a fourth running back in has Patrick, Travion Williams, whomever, could give you on offense at that point. It just seemed to me that their roles were were going to, um, you know, they, they just was, there was more value there. Well, now, a little bit interesting, the wide receivers are now Higgins, Chase, Boyd, Tate, Thomas, uh, excuse me, Tate, and Morgan. Um, you've got Evans as kind of that dual Threat kind of guy, but they're pretty light at wide receiver. That move today surprised me a bit.
2: Yeah. And even if they had kept seven, I think realistically, there would only be five activated on game days. That's really all that you'll see around the NFL, only five that are addressed on Sundays. But Thomas and Irwin, I think, did enough to earn spots on the initial team. Like Irwin, he had a rough, I think, second week of preseason, but kind of established himself as that sixth receiver during training camp really did everything right in practices and had really good games in the first and third week of the preseason. So that was that was one that a lot of the fans figured that he was going to make it through. And sure enough that he did. And I think Thomas was just designated as this, you know, this primary reserve for the boundary receiver position, along with Tate. And he didn't do a lot in the preseason, but he also did some work on special teams. So you figured that he would be making the team and be active. So to see both of them kind of go to make room for some of these some of these acquisitions that we'll talk about in a minute. It was interesting, but it was the deepest position group that they had on the initial 53, and they, they have their five right now. They're all going to be activated as, so long as they're healthy. So we'll see if that, I guess, position has any further movement as we progress towards week one, though.
1: So... One other thought, and I, you know, this is probably a reach on my on my end a little bit, was you know maybe seven wide receivers means they're going to initially be go a little just because of some of the issues we've seen from Jamar Chase early on. Maybe there's going to be a, a not so much of a heavy workload on just him and T Higgins and Tyler Boyd. Maybe they're going to mix some of these guys in there. Obviously, Mike Thomas was a guy that Zach Taylor trusted that seems to have gone out the window, John, um, if there was any kind of validity to that and there probably wasn't, but it was just one of my little reaches in terms of a theory, but it it seems to, and not only does it seem that Jamar chase is going to be uh, a heavy focus of this offense as, as, you know, we, we all thought just, I guess it gave us the struggles recently gave us maybe a little bit of pause, but, uh, the other thing is, I think, I mean, and there there may be another move here, by the way. We just we just updated that for Cincy Jungle there. So if you're watching that, we've got we've got the oh, updated nice. wide receiver the core there. Uh the, the other thing is, does this in your eyes push a more high profile role for Auden Tate in in the offense this year with this light group?
2: I, I, don't, I don't know, to be honest with you. Like, even if they had kept six, like just the standard number, I, I think Tate would see the same amount of opportunities as he would if there's now only five. Again, I, I don't think that this necessarily changes what they do on game days. I think you have Tate as your primary backup to Jamar Chase, not Tate, mm-hmm. and you have Morgan that can come in in emergencies and also back up Tyler Boyd in the slot. I, I think if injuries occur, then obviously there's no other real option than to. Than than to uh, throw Tate out there and see what he can do. But yeah, I think it is it is a little weird to see a team that's going to use three receivers for 80% of their snaps only keep just two backups. But in reality, that's really all that they were going to use on game days, unless there was just a rash of injuries that we haven't necessarily seen yet. And this is not the Marvin Lewis days. Like even if Jamar Chase has struggled, which he has, like we Never really got the the indication that Zach Taylor was going to put him in the doghouse and give right, some right, other right. guys a chance. So I, I guess that is, you know, kind of looking back at the pre-Zach Taylor days a little bit. You know, they're going to give Jamar Ch- Chase every chance to fail or succeed as a rookie. So you know, I think Auden Tate his role kind of remains. Like, if anything, like it probably does increase his chances of producing above his expectation. But I, I think it still depends on how many people get injured in front of him.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, again, unsu- un- unsubstantiated theory on my part on that, and it wasn't it wasn't necessarily Jamar Chase is going to be in the doghouse. It was more, you know, let's let's take a little bit of pressure off him early with some of these struggles we're seeing. Just just a, a thought I had on it with how many bodies they had in that position group, and all of a, all of a sudden, <laughs> a day later, it's it's a, a completely changed there. So tight ends moving on there. Uh, really the only the only kind of surprise. I, I almost did soundbite of the week where I said Mitchell Wilcox last year was going to be a breakout player. I didn't do it, John, because I don't like to pat myself on the back. But uh, I was a little surprised that he made it over Thad Moss this year. I, I mean, it's not like Thad Moss lit the world on fire in the preseason games, but he did have five catches for you know 44 yards against the Dolphins in the finale. You've got the rapport, obviously, with Joe Burrow. Um, We'll talk about the practice squad in a minute. He did make it back there, but are you a little surprised that Wilcox made it over Thad Moss? I I assume special teams played a major role in that.
2: Yeah. As far as victory laps go, that that was pretty weak, man. I expected something a little bit more (laughs) on, on that end, but yeah, special teams is the exact reason why I mentioned Wilcox made it over Thad Moss. And that's something that I looked into before final cuts to see, you know, how many opportunities was Moss getting, on pump teams and kickoff teams. And he was getting like the same amount of snaps as Wilcox. So they gave him every chance to kind of match what they saw from Wilcox. But in, in the end, I think Darren Simmons is just more comfortable with using him and his units compared to Thad Moss, but Thad Moss spoiler alert is back on the practice squad. So he'll still be with the team working as receiver. And maybe if injuries occur, Moss will get elevated and replace one of CJ Uzoma or Drew Sample. But again, thinking about who's going to be on the field for week one and, and, For Sundays in general, Mitchell Wilcox is going to make an impact in special teams. He was one of their better special teamers this preseason. And you're right, man. He he is talented enough. He is athletic enough. And he did the most with his opportunity. And he's going to be the main backup now.
1: He had, I believe, six touchdown receptions in his final year at uh, South Florida. I mean, that's not astronomical numbers. But when you're playing a limited amount of college games, you know, 11, 12, 13 college games, um, University of South Florida, they put up points and whatnot, but uh, you know, he may or may not have been the absolute primary target in that offense. Didn't study it that hard to be honest with you. But when you see six touchdown catches from a tall tight end, um, you know, as a as a senior in at University of South Florida, I mean, it, it stands out a little bit there. So maybe maybe there's something there. And then of course, obviously special teams contributions is what, uh, what what's kind of driving the train there. So Here's here's kind of where some of the big news came from, John. Now, first, let's start with Billy Price. The Bengals were able to deal him for B.J. Hill, another former Day 2 pick of the Giants in the final year of his deal. They traded Billy Price for B.J. Hill and a conditional 7th round pick. So, did a little bit of a swap out there. I, I thought it was pretty good maneuvering by the Bengals. It would seem that Billy Price maybe didn't have a fit and it does point to the fact that Trey Hopkins is probably uh, looking pretty good in his rehab and they feel pretty good about things at this point with
0: him.
2: A couple things here. I think the trade equates to this. You're trading a decent backup, but a bad starter for a decent starter, but a good backup just on the other side of the ball. I think that's the easiest way that we can look at it. Both guys Hill and price were entering the last year of their contracts. There's no real need to look at this from a future standpoint, but we all knew that Price didn't have a future here. Um, it's just a matter of how valuable is he on the trade market? How much can they milk that first-round status to get some form of decent compensation? Because if they weren't going to get a player like B.J. Hill in, in return, I don't see the upside in, in just trading Billy Price for essentially pennies. To be able to get a quality player that's going to make an impact on a position that definitely needs it is a total win. And this kind of goes back to the whole Frank Pollock thing. Yes, Frank Pollock was the offensive line coach in 2018 when Billy Price was drafted. But we have heard nothing ever since then that indicated that Price was ever their primary option. It was always Frank Ragnell. That was Pollock's guy. That was assuming Marvin Lewis's guy at the time. I don't think that Billy Price would have been the pick if Ragnell was available. I kind of think it was just they panicked and went to their next best option. But then we then we talked about... Does Price get a second chance now that he's back with his "quote unquote" old offensive line coach? Then they draft a six-round project at center and they trade him away. I think that tells you everything you need to know about, unfortunately, the the, the tragedy of Billy Price's career in Cincinnati it was never really meant to be. He was never quite that much of a fit, and he didn't necessarily blow his chances in preseason this year. He didn't look that bad, but to have a guy in Trey Hill who's a lot younger, more athletic, and honestly did look pretty good in his limited chances. Yeah. If you're able to get a BJ Hill for, B- for Billy Price and you have that guy and Trey Hill behind you, there's no reason not to make that move.
1: Yeah. I mean, in, and in truth, unless there was something going on with Trey Hopkins, unless you absolutely needed Billy Price to play a guard position or what have you, um, you're just playing, going to get more snaps out of BJ Hill and hopefully more production out of BJ Hill than you would out of Billy Price this year, especially um, just kind of what we see. Uh, Scott, Scott, Belton in the Facebook chat says, what are the conditions for this seventh round pick? My understanding, John, usually what surrounds us is playing time. So if Billy Price gets um, certain playing time, uh, I, I assume that that is what uh, what kind of drives that. Am I, am I correct in that assumption? That is what
2: drives it, but I don't think it's confirmed that they did get a seventh round pick. I think one okay. – um, I think a New York reporter reported that, but on the official like transaction page for the NFL, it wasn't listed. That was a part of the trade. It. So I'm just yeah. assuming that they didn't get a pick. I think it was just a straight player for player swap.
1: Okay. Yeah. I was going off that report. But if, if, if indeed there is a, a pick there, um, usually the conditions on a pick like that revolve around a player uh, getting certain amount of snaps and and playing time, et cetera. So um, anyway, we'll, we'll definitely update you if we, if we confirm that I was going on a, on that initial report there. But uh, so the other, the other thing with the offensive line, I mean, I think we knew that William Spain Hopkins uh, Suafilo was maybe one we, we could waffle on, but reef uh, we figured Fred Johnson being the backup swing tackle at both, both sides. Uh, Smith, Carmen uh, Trey Hill was a little surprising. Prince was a little surprising, but The oddest of summers for Mike Jordan, Um, getting (laughs) starter reps, starting in preseason games, uh, worked his butt off in spring to get in better shape and worked with Willie Anderson and all that kind of stuff. Like I mentioned, got the starter reps, starter snaps, uh, actually put up some decent PFF numbers throughout the preseason, makes it all the way to final cuts and gets cut. Uh, did get picked up by Carolina. He is on their their final roster. So, you know, good for him. Uh, and, and hopefully he can turn things around there. But I just was – I knew he was kind of one of those players where they were, they were not very sure of going into this summer. Just how the whole thing played out was a little just surprising to me. But as I take a step back, John, I look at it as they just tried to give him every opportunity to latch onto this roster by giving him starter reps, etc., and see what happened
2: that's exactly what it was and that's why like even though initial def charts end up being 90 90 accurate if there is a position that's clearly in the midst of a competition don't don't take it just take it for face value that's all that's all that it was you, you said it exactly what it was like they knew that Michael Jordan had to do everything right to earn his roster spot they gave him the starting reps when Jackson Carmen was behind, I guess, and Xavier Suafilo. They kind of knew who he was. And then Jordan didn't necessarily play bad, but it wasn't good enough to their standards. So they went back to the veteran Suafilo. started implementing Jackson Carmen Moore in the second team. Unfortunately, Jordan just kind of fell behind. So, like, yeah, if he he made it, then obviously Isaiah Prince probably doesn't make it. But now you have a pretty clear-cut depth chart of basically a backup at each spot from left to right tackle. And I think that the depth overall looks good, albeit a little bit young. But again, like we talked about Billy Price and how there never really was that much of a fit, or there never really was that much of a plan. I think with Jordan, it's even more of a tragedy. And I think there's an interesting dichotomy between him and Deontay Smith. I think back to Mike Jordan's rookie year. I remember on the show we talked about how he might make an impact as a rookie once the news of Clint Bowling's retirement came out. Like there was the whole Christian Westerman thing, John Jerry was on the team. But Mike Jordan was still there. He was a fourth-round project. And all of a sudden, he played his way up to become a starter, kind of like how Deontay Smith was on the verge of becoming this year. They were both late fourth-round picks. I think one was pick 136, one was pick 139. They entered the league with length and athleticism, but they were raw and they were athletic projects. And they were thought to be just stashed on the bench and just bulk up for year two. Jordan never really got that path. He was thrusted into the starting lineup as a rookie. He struggled immensely kind of finishes rookie year on a high note. And people thought that, that was going to translate into the next year. And then unfortunately he got worse. And then what happened in November happened. He had this whole off season and it just wasn't enough. Now Smith is in a perfect position where he's not thrusted into becoming a starter before he's ready. He is now locked into a single position, even though he has positional flexibility to kind of develop in that position behind a known quantity in quid in Spain. And he's allowed to basically continue growing into his body, developing in practice, and given a much more steady path to becoming a solid player compared to Mike Jordan. And I think that's also the difference between maybe a Frank Pollock and a Jim Turner and maybe Zach Taylor kind of learning from his mistakes. It really is interesting how Mike Jordan's career arose and fell apart in an instant in like three years and how Deontay Smith might be on a much more favorable track. But it really is the difference between what started out the, the Zach Taylor era and what it, where it kind of is now. And I think this, it's a testament of a lot more stability and just kind of learning from your mistakes.
1: That's a fantastic point about, uh, about the different paths between both those guys. Justin Money 513 says, where did Isaiah Prince come from? He was Ohio State, was he not? Um, mm-hmm. I, I believe was where he went to school. He so. was a
2: sixth round pick for the Dolphins yeah. in 2019. Yep. And then he opted out last year. Both him and an, another opt out from the Bengals last year both made the team, so that's impressive to me in its own right.
1: Yeah, it is. So let's keep trucking along here. Not, I, I don't know that there were too many surprises on the defensive line, other than you know Hodge making it. I, I still feel that that's not an overly huge surprise because of the Osai injury and because of Hodge's performance in preseason. We don't really know what's going on with Khalid Kareem. There's all of a sudden an is- injury issue there. But, you know, Tupo was another one that we talked about as maybe a guy that they look at, at uh, getting rid of there. But they wanted depth here, John. They wanted depth. They wanted talent. They wanted youth. And they wanted they wanted bulk. And between Reader, Tupo, and Shelvin, they had some big boys in there. So uh, I-, I wasn't overly surprised by a lot of these. Uh, Tupo, uh excuse me, Hodge was the guy that, you know, was maybe a bubble guy, but with Osai being injured, I I figured that was his path onto the roster.
2: Yeah, looking at this, like you said, no big surprises. I I did want to ask you, though, because when they traded for B.J. Hill, it was either, okay, they're going to keep 11 here and going to go heavy, or they're going to make some surprise cut. Like before the B.J. Hill trade, we all assumed that this was going to be 10, including Mike Daniels. But as soon as the Hill trade kind of went through... We figured what, what really is the plan here? Did you expect Daniels to be the guy to let go? Or did you expect maybe Tupo or, or maybe um, Darius Hodge to not make the team at all?
1: Well, I, unfortunately, I felt that, I, I guess I should say, if you had asked me three or four days ago about uh, Mike Daniels being cut, I'd be like, what? Why? Right. Uh, when the trade went through, I saw the player. I saw the position. I saw the age saw the contract and then all of a sudden i was like that's maybe the writing on the wall and mike daniels is near and dear to our hearts he's been excellent to us on this program he's been on the show i think three times and uh his representation was awesome so wish him nothing but the best i wish there was a way that they could get him back maybe he is a guy if there is god forbid an injury they they call upon if he hasn't been uh hasn't been picked up there so I guess that's that's kind of a a, <laughs> a weaselly way to answer that on my end, wherein I, I I say you know a week ago it would have been like he's a lock, and you know two three days ago I'd be like yeah I guess I guess that's where that's going. So um, that's that's kind of my answer to that. So when I say I wasn't too surprised when I started this, I, there's a caveat to that, I guess.
2: I'm you know, pouring out this empty beer bottle for <laughs> one of our favorite guests of all time here on OBI. Yeah, like yeah. Honestly, like, yeah. honestly, I, I do think that, like I, I would not be surprised if Mike Daniels would be down to just join the practice squad. I, I think he likes it here that much and he would just take the, the significantly less amount of money, but on, obviously if he can get a bag, um, um he can, he, he can get a bag.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, he meant a lot to this team and I know, you know, meant a lot, it isn't saying much given their record, I guess, but he meant a lot to this team from a locker room standpoint and from a fan engagement standpoint. And I know we were all revved up that he re-signed this, this year again and we got him on right right after he signed, which was awesome. So uh, it's, it's a bummer. I guess, you know, again, like I said, it, it's a handful of days ago, would have been surprising, but with the B.J. Hill acquisition, it's
0: not. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check.
1: I've been asked about this a little bit in terms of the idea behind, and we're gonna we're gonna move on in just a, a few minutes as we get through the rest of the roster here. But your your in your mind's eye, where do you see the Bengals using BJ Hill? How often, and uh, you know, do you think he can make an impact on this team going forward? Yeah, so
2: there were some people that called him a nose tackle initially, and that's not entirely accurate. I think it was possible that he. Could find a roles in those tackle when he entered the NFL. He came out of North Carolina State in 2018. But I think at like 310 pounds, he ran a sub five second 40. He wasn't the most productive pass rusher, but that's where he's played most of his snaps with the Giants. And knowing what we know about the Giants, they always love defensive tackle depth. And he was always a, a, a decent solid player for them. But they have Dexter Lawrence, uh, Leonard Williams now. There's just no real room for him to advance himself within that starting defense. So this gives him a new opportunity to continue kind of growing as a pass rusher, I think. So he's going to be used at three technique behind Larry Ogunjobi. He could give them flexibility in their third down passing pass rushing unit. So they've had Sam Hubbard you know, slide inside a lot in, in recent years. Maybe he'll becomes that extra inside rusher where they don't have to move around Hubbard, which is unfortunately going to be necessary if you're not going to have Joseph Asai and maybe you can't count on Darius Hodge for more than like maybe 10 snaps a game as a pass rusher. You know, we've, we've seen him impress in the preseason, but those preseason stars, they don't always become regular season stars. So they know what they have in Hubbard. Obviously, he's been a slightly better pass rusher inside compared to outside on passing downs. But I think they need Hubbard to kind of step up on the outside. Now they can have B.J. Hill kind of take over on the inside. I think it was Malik Wright who compared B.J. Hill's impact to what Wallace Gilberry was with the Bengals a few years ago. And we've compared a lot of guys to Walls-Gilberry, but I think Hill kind of makes a lot of sense too. But also, just real quick, going back to Daniels, Daniels was a fan favorite. I think everyone would have been fine if he made it the team. But I think for what they're going to ask B.J. Hill to do, he fits the role better. And that's the, the callousness that I think a lot of Bengals fans desired from this franchise to just move on from these, these coaches' favorites, these fan favorites, if there is a better option out there. And BJ Hill is a better option, and he's going to fit the role a lot better.
1: It's probably true, sad but true. Uh, And, you know, also the other thing, I know that when we've talked to him, Mike Daniels talks about how intense his workouts have been and how great of shape he is in at this stage of his career. But we are talking about a player who, you know, has about, what, six, seven years less uh, NFL season's on his, on his body. So the amount of snaps that they may, may maybe as it's not even just, you know, uh, effectiveness, it's also the ask of the amount of snaps that are going to be. And I guess that that obviously affects efficiency, but uh, the amount of snaps they may ask a younger player um, just makes more sense for them than, than that of Daniels, but uh, best of luck to Mike Daniels. That was, that was a hard one to, to look at there, but uh, writing was on the wall a little bit there. I don't, not too many surprises with linebackers or cornerbacks to me, I guess Jalen Davis making it a little bit. He had, uh, he had a pretty good preseason there, but any, any kind of surprises or things you want to address with those two position groups? Cause I think this is for the most part, how we thought those, two, those two groups would shake out.
2: Yeah. Nothing surprising here. No, I think it was just like Jalen Davis should have made the team and he did. And that's that like that was probably the biggest variable with this. um, How many cornerbacks they were going to carry with Trey Waynes being out. And they they now have seven on the active roster right now. So Davis played well enough to make it and he's here. And Joe Bocci and Keandre Jones didn't necessarily play well enough to make it at linebacker. So they only have five there. So no real surprises on those two positions.
1: Yeah, I agree. Safety. Uh, and safety and specialist kind of a little bit of the same thing. I mean, I I guess, you know, you you could have made some arguments for uh, Trayvon Henderson over Ricardo Allen. I didn't see it happening because of the relationship that Allen had with Lou Anarumo and the fact that he has played slot corner and uh, has some safety experience in the league. So I didn't really see that shaking out any differently. Uh, And then McPherson was just outstanding. And we knew that, uh, with with the draft designation, the Bengals weren't going to let him slide away like they did Jake Elliott a few years ago. So I didn't see many other surprises in these final two groups either.
2: Trayvon, Trayvon Henderson might be one of the better 53 players on this team, but it's just like that that old kind of tired out saying, like, play your best five offensive linemen or play your best players. Like, it, they, they have their four safeties. There's, mm-hmm. no, there's no logical reason to carry five compared to – where else you need depth? Like you don't really need five safeties in general. I think they love Ricardo Allen as this backup veteran leader, kind of like a coach in in the safeties room. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's just no, there was no way that Henderson was going to make it unless there was an injury, and there almost was. I guess like Brandon Wilson got hurt in week three of the preseason, and then Henderson came in and like a great play behind the line of scrimmage, and then had an interception. And you're thinking, okay, if this Wilson injury is big, like this may have changed Trayvon Henderson's whole career, but nope practice squad you
1: (laughs) go yeah Uh, I'm excited about McPherson though Um, there's going to be a lot of pressure on him there's probably going to be some big kicks in divisional games and in some bad weather but he looks like he's got a boot and uh, he was I think if I remember correctly he was basically perfect in the preseason right so um, good for him and he he and Seibert had a neck-and-neck competition but I don't know how much of a competition it actually was because I think they wanted this kid to have the job
2: I'm not going to lie, man. There was a part of me that kind of wanted him to miss on Sunday. <laughs> just 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 to get it out of the way. When he Yeah, nailed, that's right. When he nailed that 57-yarder, like, honestly, I thought it was going to miss at the very end because it was just curving more and more to the, to the left post. But holy crap, that was good from 70. It was yeah. insane. <laughs> like, yeah. the, I, I, it can't continue forever, but I guess we're just going to go all along for this ride until it does.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I would, you are, you're maybe a little more generous, generous than I, I was going to say 65, but yeah, I mean, that was, that was good from a long, long ways away. So that's the final roster. We'll spend a few more minutes going over the practice squad, talking about some of those players and then get to a couple other things where we're going a little bit long, but let's quickly talk about the practice squad. John, we'll share that with everybody on the, the video feed here. Uh, look, Every year, every single year, we say, there's no way the Bengals should cut this player because (laughs) they will never be able to get them back on the practice squad. They will never clear waivers. I can remember, if you want me to, and and I'll include myself in this, I remember years ago, there was a player that I was certain that if they cut, he would have been been scooped up by another team. And that player, if you want me to say, if you want – uh, me to look like a fool on air is was Desmond Briscoe. If you remember that name, I thought I thought Desmond Briscoe was going to be the next big thing. I thought there was you know a lot a lot of potential there and nothing. So here we go. You know, 24 hours ago, uh, everybody up in arms about Thad Moss being cut. Everybody up in arms about Trayvon Williams and Jacques Patrick and many many others being cut. And lo and behold, the Bengals find him on the practice squad here. So let's scroll down your thoughts. Uh, I, I like who they've got on this practice squad here. Uh, you see Joe, Joe Batchy, the linebacker. You mentioned him. Tony Brown, who's kind of been around the team for a little bit. Chris, uh, Chris Min Henderson, Keandre Jones, Thad Moss, Jacquez Patrick, Winston Rose. Mason Shrek did come back on to the practice squad. They, they were able to do the same with Noah Spence, which is – a good thing. Keaton Sutherland, a guy who has been around for a couple of years. Trent Taylor, Rennell Wren, that's good news. Puka Williams, Travion Williams. So uh your your thoughts on the on the practice squad.
2: Deshaun Williams, defensive tackle, was my was my um was my guy from a few years ago. Good Two on. sacks now in six careers. Um but if, as far as this year's practice squad, three running backs was a bit surprising, maybe. I think we figured that Patrick and Moss, were going to make it just for general intrigue, just for development purposes. But good to see Travion back. I guess now they have six to, to practice with, both linebackers. I figured only one would make it through, but both Bocce and Keandre Jones. There's Thaddeus Moss, Drew Christman. I think as expected, made it back as Kevin Huber's heir. Two cornerbacks and Tony Brown and Winston Rose. So a lot of a lot of doubling up, and as well as a tight end too with with Mason Shrek. Um, I think they probably would have preferred to have one more offensive lineman, but I think the only other option was either Michael Jordan or Gunnar Vogel. And Jordan has found a home with Carolina. And I guess that relationship kind of needed to end anyways. And there's no reason to keep Gunnar Vogel anywhere near the Cincinnati Bengals at this point in time. <laughs> so but Travion Williams and Renell Wren are like the lasting impact or the lasting members of beyond the third round of Zach Taylor's rushed, hurried uh, ill-prepared 2019 class so we'll see how long they they kind of stick around and maybe maybe they'll see some action uh later this year if injuries pop up
1: yeah i've always had high hopes for ronnell wren but injuries and all kinds of other things a lack of development have uh not not allowed him to be the player i hope he i had hoped he was uh one glaring omission and i guess we could talk about it in our next segment a little bit as well but no no quarterback. No quarterback, mm-hmm. as, you, as you mentioned, um, and only two on the active roster. Does that surprise you at all?
2: I don't know. Does, does Cam Newton want to join the practice squad? <laughs>
1: uh, I, I don't. I don't. Something tells me that he he may not be down for that. Um, I, I think right. he's
2: got an offer from Bishop Sycamore right now. He's kind of going <laughs> over.
1: Oh, that whole thing! Good God, that thing is just ridiculous. Uh Yeah. I mean, I I just thought, you know, usually they've kept a developmental quarterback on the roster. So things change. We'll talk more about that in a second um, in our, in our next segment, we've got a little while longer that we're going to be with you talking practice squad Bengals, final roster impressions as the Bengals get going towards hosting the Minnesota Vikings in week one at Paul Brown stadium coming off a, a kind of a wild preseason week three loss as well from the, from the dolphins, but Hey, uh, we're, we're going towards regular season. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. This is the orange and black insider. We've got a lot of people, uh, tuning in live, which is awesome. Happy to see that. And if you're new to the program, thank you. You can always download this show along with ACE and Zim's orange is the new black Matt Minix, chalk talk. Uh, all of those are on the 60 jungle podcast channel on your favorite audio streamer, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, any of those. And then right below, oh, I can't, I can't point because I can't get on his screen. But right below John's left shoulder is an icon that you can click. If you if you prefer the YouTube stuff, you can click on that, subscribe, hit the bell to get notified when we go live. The other thing, John, that we need to to tell the folks about is our partnership with Symbol before we get to our next segment. And a lot of folks hopefully know, if you've been tuning into our program for a while, know about Symbol, S-I-M-B-U-L-L. It is the stock market for sports. So if you play fantasy football, if you play survival football, if you play week to week matchups and all of that, I won't mention those types of companies by name, but if you do any of that kind of stuff, you got to get in on Symbol. It is where you can buy shares of stock in teams, whether it's one you're passionate about, whether it's one you feel you can make money on, maybe it's a little bit of both, and buy, sell, trade stocks like uh, like it's the stock market. And that's the other thing. If you play the stock market in general, this is another thing you got to look at. So S-I-M-B-U-L-L, there is a promo code, John. Uh, if you use OBI, uh, you get some incentives. So uh, tell us a little bit more about it.
2: Yeah, you're not going to find GME or AMC on the stock market, but you are going to find <laughs> every NFL team, every NBA team, every MLB team. Reds are pounding on the Cardinals right now, if anyone cares. And every college football team That's just that actually started this past weekend. Week zero was, I think, last Saturday or last Friday. So if you guys know anything about these teams, if you happen to, I don't know, follow sports, since you're listening to a sports podcast, you can leverage your knowledge on your favorite teams. You can invest in them if you believe that they're going to do well in the long run and you can watch your earnings pour in as they win and then you can sell them for some profit after their value has raised like their value is based off of how many times that those markets are bought into so right now the sim bangles is around 50 60 dollars if they start hot this year you could see that value rise you can find a seller you can cash out for some profit or you can see if they end up winning Super Bowl 56 or 57 or whatever it is this year. And then you can cash out big time. Or you can hold strong and it becomes a blue chip kind of stock for yourself. You just watch your earnings grow over time. It really is that simple. and really is that fun. And you can use the promo code OBI to get one free
1: week of symbol gold. And you can start investing right away. The website is in the live chats for the, uh, the YouTube members. So, um check that out go click and and use that promo code obi take advantage of it good stuff from symbol we're happy to be partnering with them for the regular season this year All right, let's get to it. Believe it or not. Well, John, there's so many different things that we could we could start with, but I, I think the biggest concern at this point—I mean, aside from the Trey Wayne's injury—but that seems to be more of a short-term type of situation. The biggest question, or one of—I mean, I guess offensive line too, but. For me, I got to look at the pass rush right now because I had very, very high hopes for Joseph Osai. And he was a guy that, you know, I, I kind of thought he could replicate some, some pr- pretty big numbers like you saw in early in Carl Lawson's career and, and other pretty good pass rushers by the Bengals. Um, and now they're kind of trying to do, it would seem, a by committee thing. So there's BJ Hill kind of in the fold. I know he's, he's more of an interior guy. You've got Hodge. You've got cam sample Khalid Kareem, who is now having some injury stuff of his own. Uh, They added Wyatt Ray. We didn't really talk too much about that. The Bengals made two additions to get rid of those two wide receivers. Um, Believe it or not, that the Bengals can get past the Osai loss now that we know what the roster looks like at edge rusher and defensive line. Believe it or not, that the Bengals can kind of patch it together with Band-Aid, glue, and other potential that I mentioned with some of those names and replicate and or maybe even exceed what Osai himself would have given you from a pass rush standpoint.
2: I do believe it for now, but I think it depends on how you look at it. Like you could look at it from just a strictly numbers perspective and you can project how many pressures, sacks, snaps that Osai was going to give you. You can even be generous with it. Say like he was going to give you seven or eight sacks, like 40 or something pressures on like 500 snaps. I think you can get that from a combination of Hodge, Sample, Kareem, and even Wyatt Ray if he sticks around long enough. But from a week-to-week perspective, you're not always going to get a handful of pressures and a sack from Darius Hodge, like you did in the preseason. You right. don't really know who Cam Sample is right now. Wyatt Ray has bounced around from multiple teams for a reason in his three years because he's not that good of a pass rusher, but he has had his moments. You're not going. You're not going to have anyone from this quartet, if you will, that every week you can kind of count on him to be as impactful as Osai was. But I think from a macro perspective, from looking at it from an 18 game perspective, from just total volume i think you will see that the production is about the same but it doesn't it, it is different from looking at it just from a game perspective if you're going up against two solid offensive tackles like you're not really confident in, in khalid kareem and Cam sample winning those one-on-ones with their athleticism because osai in comparison was that much more explosive and he was that much more freaky and who knows how much more he would have developed from a technical perspective coming off of that that week one uh preseason game like i think darius hodge might be their best hope from just an individual perspective, but even so that's an undrafted rookie who again, is still learning how to be an edge rusher. And he's obviously learning really fast and he's earned this role that he has, but there's not, again, there's not one guy here that is going to instill confidence in you like Joseph Asai did. But I think from just a volume production perspective over an 18 week schedule, I think the loss is not going to be as big as we kind of think of it right now. It it, it still sucks. It's still kind of fresh because it's, it's a rookie and, for the Bengals and he's heard and it kind of fits the narrative and he showed promise and stuff like that. Yeah. But from looking at it from talking about this in January, I don't think it's going to be as big of a loss as we, as we're thinking about it right now.
1: I think this just also, I mean, I know some of these guys aren't, uh, aren't, aren't known inside uh, the, the interior linemen aren't necessarily known for, you know, huge sack numbers, a la Aaron Donald Gino Atkins, etc. But I think this is where the spotlight of getting, being able to get push pressure, eat up double teams from guys like Reader, Tupo, uh, Shelvin. I mean, it just kind of eat up blockers and free up some of these guys if they are in there on some of these passing downs. Ogan Joby being able to to look like he has uh, his old self in, in his first couple of years in Cleveland where he was able to get to the quarterback and do some different things. I think that's where the spotlight is. And one statement I want to make when we go talk about Mike Daniels I think we have to look at, I mean, last year Mike Daniels came in late and the Bengals needed him to start. Uh, And and so now we're at a situation depth-wise for the Bengals where Mike Daniels didn't even make the team this year. So, I mean, I I love Mike Daniels and all of that, and I still think he could have contributed in some capacity, but we are at a situation, and it, it seems like a much better one in terms of the fact that the Bengals, a guy who started for him last year, uh, didn't even make the team for him this year. But the, the other the other thing I want to ask you on this, John, you ever see, do you think that Noah Spence will ever get called up at any point, or do you think he's just kind of – he was a guy that had high potential and it's just never going to materialize?
2: So he might be one of the guys who gets elevated from the practice squad week one because I don't think that Kareem is going to be healthy there, and they made one as many edge, edge rushers as possible early on. But that, that did seem kind of like the plan. Like he was, joined – the team's so late in the preseason. like He only had one game to really prove himself, so it was going to be really hard for him to make the team anyways, but there wasn't really any interest for him outside of Cincinnati. He has a coach in Mark Duffner that he knew from his days with Tampa Bay, so there's some comfort and familiarity there. So I think the fit is good, and he is in a position where he can see the active roster for Week 1 if they do need uh, as much help as possible. But outside of that, I think it's very much unknown, and it really does depend on a bunch of injuries in front of them.
1: All right, let's go to the next one Uh, and definitely want to hear yours. I don't want to just keep hammering you with these, but uh, Bengals only kept five wide receivers. Do you think that that changes? Believe it or not, the Bengals keep mostly five wide receivers through active or on the final roster, 53-man roster throughout uh, the majority, if not all of the regular season.
2: So this was interesting because – when both Mike Thomas and Trent and Irwin made it through um, final cuts, like th- th- that was that was expected that like they're both solid players and obviously Irwin proved his keep uh, this past month and when they were released, I think there was like a conversation of oh maybe they'll be back soon like maybe they'll place Wayne's or Kareem on short-term IR and they have like a like a handshake agreement that you know this is only temporary we just need the space right now before we put these guys on IR but neither Wayne's nor Kareem, are on IR. They're still on the active roster and right now Thomas and Irwin are currently looking for work so who knows if we'll see those guys back but even if they aren't back I think there will be a point in time where there's going to be six receivers on the active roster. They have Trent Taylor right now on the practice squad and they can elevate him if they um, are, are so inclined to do so to be a true backup to Tyler Boyd in the slot but I think injuries may impact what they do here. Like I'm not trying to assume that a player is going to get injured but it is a little bit dangerous at that position to keep just five like main options and not have any sort of backup for 18 whole weeks. And we're not, we're not trying to project here, but I think, yeah, it's a safe bet to say, it. at least at some point in the season, they're going to go through more than these five guys and
1: try to look for some outside help. Yeah, I agree with you. It's it. I, I think there's probably going to be, Uh, someone that gets called up for uh, either unfortunate reasons or just depth purposes, matchup purposes, that sort of thing. There's probably going to be someone that gets called up uh, beyond those five, but it also points to probably a decent role for Chris Evans. It also points to maybe a highlighting a little bit of CJ Uzama drew sample in the passing game. Uh, So we'll, we'll have to see what happens there. Uh, Do you have one for me or for us, I guess? Yeah, so we talked about
2: one of the waiver claims today in White Ray, but they made another waiver claim in Nick McLeod, a cornerback from the Buffalo Bills, who was a college free agent out of Notre Dame. I think he had one interception this preseason, and it was against none other than Andy Dalton of the Chicago Mm -hmm. Bears. But right now, the Bengals have seven cornerbacks on the active roster, including the injured Trey Waynes. And over the last preseason game, they did not play Eli Apple, not because of injury purposes, but because they basically have already given – the starting job to Eli Apple in the case that Trey Wayne's in all likelihood misses week one. I think we had some people in the comments express a lack of confidence in Eli Apple for a good reason. He's been in the league for five years and hasn't proven to be a solid starter. So believe it or not, Eli Apple is a starting corner is a solid starter for the Bengals for however long he needs to be in place of Trey Wayne's or do they go back to their old friend and Darius Phillips to fill that.
1: Define Solid. Uh, I, you know, I, I, this is exactly why a player like Eli Apple was signed this offseason by the Bengals. They were decimated in the cornerback group last year by injury. They were decimated along the defensive line by injury. And lo and behold, those same groups get hit by injury. The Bengals have largely been healthy, knock on wood, so far this this preseason. Probably one of the healthiest that they've been in a really long time. But they got uh, annihilated, really. Osai, Hubert, Sample's been in and out. Khalid Kareem on the defensive line once again. Pass rushers getting hurt once again. And then, of course, their their big ticket free agent, Waynes, is hurt. So this is exactly why you get a guy like Apple. Yes, his career has been a disappointment in terms of where he was drafted, but he is a former first-round pick. He is a guy who has ties to Luana Rumo, knows the system, knows what's expected. I I. I don't know if I feel comfortable f- saying solid, but I feel that he will be able uh, in his role to relieve Waynes if it's like two games, maybe maximum of three. If we're talking six games, if we're talking eight games, I don't know how comfortable I am about that situation. But if we're talking less than a month, uh, I-, I would I would feel okay about that. Not Not great, but I would feel okay.
2: I mean, he's going to have – Kirk Cousins, potentially Andy Dalton, and Ben Roethlisberger the first three weeks. I think the Bengals secondary, for what it is right now, can handle that triumvirate of opposing quarterbacks. And I guess the real question is, how long is the leash? Like, how much confidence do they have in Eli Apple to hold down that spot until Waynes gets back? Like, does he make a couple mistakes and then they start rotating Darius Phillips back in like they did last year? Apparently, Eli Apple has been solid in practice. Like he's only practiced for maybe two weeks because we, he was injured for the first half of training camp, and he never really played in the preseason at all. But from what we've heard, like it was clear that he was ahead of Darius Phillips in the depth chart, and we're gonna see if that's pay, if that's gonna pay off here.
1: Uh, Elfish Presley, which is a, a funny name. Uh, I watched Eli Apple in New Orleans for years, get burnt game after game after game, and. I believe it was Tony Wright who said a less complimentary comment uh, showing a garbage can emoji about Eli Apple. Again, this is, you know, if Eli Apple is going to succeed, it is with, it is under Lou Anaruma, his best chance of success and rejuvenating his career is really where he's at at this point in time, in my opinion, with a defensive coordinator that he knows with a system that he knows. And, you know, really, if the Bengals have bolstered their their pass rush, their defensive line, you've got Jesse Bates helping you out on the back end of the defense. Um, I don't know that he's had all of those elements necessarily consistently in his career. I don't expect Pro Bowl level play. I just, I think we're going to see hopefully some of the better type of play from Eli Apple, which isn't necessarily a hugely high level, but this is kind of, I don't know, I feel like this is where he would be set up to be the most successful as possible at this point in his career.
2: Absolutely. Just having familiarity with a the coach, their talent around him, it, it'll really just depend on like, how much does he get targeted? I guess <laughs> like, like that's just the life of a cornerback. You can do everything right. But if you take one wrong step, you end up on, on the highly real on ESPN. I had one more, uh, believe it or not for you. And we're going to okay. turn to the offensive line. Talked okay. a lot about the first two weeks and how they were solid against Tampa Bay and Washington. They finished the preseason with another solid performance against Miami. We could talk about, is this going to continue into the regular season? But I wanted your take on something else in terms of just how they finalized the roster in itself. The starting interior line from left guard to right guard, the average age of that group is like 30. It's like the oldest starting position group on the starting lineup. All their backups though, are all rookies. They're all draft picks from this recent draft class. Deontay Smith, Trey Hill, Jackson Carmen. This was like a question that I think Paul Daniel Jr. brought up to, Paul, to Zach Taylor. Like, does that concern you? The lack of experience behind, you know, three starters in front of them and only one of them, you could, you would feel confident in being a consistent, stable starter for, for 17 games in Trey Hopkins. So, believe it or not, the Bengals handled finalizing the interior part of their offensive line right despite the lack of experience behind some questionable starters.
1: I, I'll say I believe it. Uh, I, in this, that comes with the caveat of I don't think they did enough in free agency. Uh, on the, from the get go, I, I would have liked to have seen them pursue one of the higher end guards that were out there in the first place. But they seem to really like Quentin Spain. I was surprised that Suafilo stuck around because of the previous ties to the the the, the predecessor of Frank Pollock uh, as the offensive line coach. I just I thought that there was something that maybe would have had them say, thanks, but no, thanks. Um, but they, they clearly are saying, okay, we're, I mean, you could even throw in age wise and everything. Look at the right tackle. Uh, now the guy behind him, Fred Johnson, it has a couple of years accrued, but he's still a young guy, but it's, I mean, you can go all the way to right tackle in terms of the, the high amount of age and experience uh, on the, on the line from there. And I think it's, I think it, Kind of is like, well, hey, we've got the 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 veteran guys right now, the guys that have a lot of experience, and that's going to pay dividends, hopefully, throughout this year and the years ahead by in tutoring purposes and learning purposes, all that kind of stuff for these rookies. But I also have high hopes for guys like Deontay Smith, like Jackson Carmen. I think that they can be, I know Carmen's had a little bit of struggles. Deontay Smith looks like the real deal. Um but they need development. So uh, I, I think I think they played this right. I'm, it's risky, but I think they played it right in terms of uh, how they how they constructed things. We knew Carmen was going to make it anyway, but I, I think they played it right. I, I believe it.
2: Yeah, and they're going to have probably Smith and Hill active and probably not have Carmen active immediately. They can only activate so many of these guys for game days. They're going to have one of the tackles, presumably Fred Johnson, available. So – there's an injury at guard, and I'm assuming Deontay Smith's going to get first up. Maybe maybe it's Carmen, but I, I think they might have more confidence in Smith right now. And Trey Hill's the only guy that they have behind Hopkins with experience at center. So, you know, those guys are going to get that first shot if, in case there is an injury. But also, I think there is value in having upside and potential as your reserves rather than known commodities that just aren't going to cut it as a starter like we kind of knew at this point who Michael Jordan was and even if they had kept Michael Jordan um instead of like Isaiah Prince like this debate stays the same like Michael Jordan doesn't make them that much more experienced at, behind those three spots right like Jordan's still only 23 years old so it's not like they like they cut a feeler or any, anyone like that and make the the age group that much younger but I do think there is value with a guy like Frank Pollock developing these guys not thrusting them in just to start right away but allow them the time to develop and then when the time is right maybe in a year when both uh and spain and xavier Sufilo are, are released or they move on and their contract expire then you're in a position where okay these guys have been through the system before they've gotten the first chances to relieve some of these guys from injuries and they're ready i think the path and i think the overall plan i guess is a lot better than I think some people would would lead it to be. Yeah, it's kind of scary to have not a lot of experience protecting Joe Burrow in case some injuries happen. But honestly, it there's not a lot of offensive line depth around the league right now. You're not going you're not, you're not going to find five solid backups in a league where there's rarely enough teams with five solid starters. But I think honestly, the Bengals are kind of close to having five solid starters, anyways.
1: And I think that if you want to talk about a pathway and a career trajectory that you hope for. In terms of parallels, if you look at Trey Hill and Trey Hopkins, um, you, you know center guard uh, maybe shows you some versatility. And it took it took a, a couple of years for Hopkins to latch onto a spot start and become a capable starter. And that may be the case with Hill. And if if the Bengals are able to get out of a what was he a 6 round pick, if they're able to get that out of him and be be a guy that was just kind of a flyer pick, but they liked his versatility and be able to do that. That may be the career trajectory that they see in a guy like that. And that would be a good thing for for this team, obviously.
2: Trey Hopkins was undrafted. Quentin yep. Spain was undrafted. Yep. I guess it, I guess Suafield is barely a second round pick, but you know he's been through a long career where it's not not necessarily been easy they got the coach they got the talent i think it's it's worth seeing it play out and not kind of assuming that's going to go wrong like like the previous offensive line
1: coach yep yep well that's this week's believe it or not and we are going to move on to preview a position group and start closing this thing up are we not john absolutely we got one more excuse me
2: we got one more position group on defense to get to, and it's the one position group where there's the least amount of controversy as, to far, as far as who made it and who – oh, my God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I feel like I just chug more hot sauce or something. I was like just that. Gonna I say, what's going to <laughs>
1: say, what happened?
2: Added to the blooper reel. Yeah. We're going to talk about safety, but really I guess there's only one real discussion with this position group. When is Jesse Bates going to sign that contract? Is it going to be – a franchise tag in March is going to be a four or five year extension in September. Like there's only so much that we can talk about in terms of on the field. Like obviously Bates is coming off of a very impressive all pro performance, very worthy all pro performance in 2020. Von Bell looked like maybe the best free agent signing in Bengals history. You could say for his impact at strong (laughs) safety. And then you have two very solid backups behind him, Brandon Wilson, who I'll be is going to make most of his money as a kick returner and Ricardo Allen, who is, I guess the brand new Sean Williams, you know, that, that wily vet who can give you special teams value, can give you a good backup. Like there's no real discussion, I guess, in terms of what these guys are going to do, because we pretty much know what they're going to do. These guys are known commodities in in, in itself. So I guess is it, is it time to, to rehash the, the, the Bates contract or like what, Where really is there to discuss about this group? Because it's solid. We knew it was going to be this for, entering the regular season and there's only so much like deviation from what we expect them to do this year. Uh,
1: yeah. I mean, I don't, I, there's not a lot of surprises here. I, I will say that this is not a position group that I am very worried about in terms of its performance. I guess that if you want to keep harping on the, the Bates situation um, and here, here are the the safeties there on bangles.com and, you know, size, et cetera. You know, obviously, where's Jesse Bates head going to be at with the with the contract situation? And are the Bengals going to get that done? Uh, We've seen Jesse Bates has been a pretty dang consistent player in his in his years with the Bengals. Uh, There was a little bit of a dip. I think it was his second year. There's a little bit of a dip, but um, he ended up having a, a really strong second half of that season. But I mean, he's one of the best safeties in the league. He needs to get paid as such. Allen is an intriguing guy to me not very big particularly for a safety but again a guy that brings versatility as a potential slot guy you see, you mentioned the veteran leadership i mean when you see Von Bell Jesse Bates Ricardo Allen those are i mean Bates is pretty much a hot household name Von Bell kind of was because he played at a high profile Ohio State team played played with the, the Saints and you know uh, i mean the other thing John is look at the age the ages of this group. I mean, your two starters are 24 and 26 years old right now. I, what I like about this and how they made, made it up, especially with Allen. I feel like Allen brings an element where it allows Von Bell to play the position or play in snaps that are more suited to his specific strengths. I think last year, the Bengals tried to have Von Bell, uh, cover a little more deeper downfield, cover some of the more athletic pass catchers on the opposing team. And he, we know, John, that he just is a lot better closer to the line of scrimmage, helping out in the run game, helping out in the short and intermediate passing game, not the deep pass pass game. So mixing it up with all these different corners, a Ricardo Allen kind of hybrid type of player to me, I, I think we're going to see. Uh, a little bit more of the Von Bell that we saw in the last half of last year throughout all of this year. That's my hope, at least, with how they made up this group.
2: Yeah, so it's like Jesse Bates and the other three are like two different types of safeties. Von Bell, obviously, like you said, he's basically a linebacker. He does his best work closer to the line of scrimmage. It's also very similar to Brandon Wilson, who doesn't get a ton of time on the field with, with the defense, but he's also more effective when he's closer to the line of scrimmage. And when they initially brought in Ricardo Allen for, as a free agent visit back in March, we thought initially, okay, this guy has slot cornerback experience going all the way back to Purdue when both he and Luna Rumo were there. Does Luna Rumo have a plan to use Allen as a slot cornerback? That, that doesn't seem to be the case, but he does have that experience as well as being also a deep center field safety. But it, it is nice to have multiple safeties who can play close to the box and a safety that you can. Fully rely on just being a true center fielder, which is something that ninety five percent of other teams just simply don't have. Like the, that Chris Evans touchdown against the Dolphins, it came against I think a cover one look for the for the Dolphins, and I'm, I'm assuming it was just a backup free safety that was in there for Miami, but he was just back there covering the the entirety of, yeah. of of the like the deep half of the field, and like it was a great throw and great route from Brandon Allen and Chris Evans. But like if Jesse Bates is playing in safety, you you expect him to make that play, and you don't expect 95% of other free safeties to do so because it's such a, it's such a tough play to make. It's such right. an insane amount of range that you need to play that position to, in, in this specific scheme. It's very rare that you can – like, that's why teams are kind of deviating away from cover three and cover one and going more towards cover two and cover four now because they don't really make that, that kind of safety anymore. Like, Earl Thomas, Ed Reed, like, those guys are up there in terms of what they can do. Jesse Bates is almost in a league of his own like maybe maybe Justin Simmons, maybe some some of these other elite safeties that are paid like an elite safety, but they have an elite guy with an elite trade that allows them to be very liberal with, with their coverages and their schemes. And it's wide that they can platoon these, these two different types of safeties, Von Bell closer to the line of scrimmage to be an overhang defender, and Jesse Bates to be a free safety. Like they have both guys perfect for their roles
1: that allows them to play the defense that they want. Yeah. That Miami defensive back, man, he was like a step, a step and a half, half step, just right there. It was a great throw by Allen and and a great play by Evans there, but good point on that. And, uh, you know, I I guess really the only two other talking points I would have personally on this, one would be, where would you rate this in terms of level of talent? I, I know it's hard to say depth with only four players in the position group, but I mean, I think you can look at the talent, overall talent at wide receiver. Yeah, you know, Chase has had a, a couple of hiccups in in this preseason, but you know the talents there. The wide receiver group, uh, you know, you could you could talk about maybe the interior defensive line. Cornerbacks look look pretty good, especially when when Trey Wayne's is in there and healthy. But this has to be up there as one of the more talented groups on this team, right?
2: Talented and proven, like you can rely yeah. on them. It's it's not just like potential. It's developed talent that's in their ideal roles. Like the defense may not be as great as we think it's going to be after this preseason, but whatever their shortcomings are, it won't be because of those two starters. And and Allen and Wilson are rarely going to play unless, God forbid, injuries do happen. But like those are still two really good backups at both of those spots. So I, I guess aside from like running back and receiver, yes, yeah, is by far the most talented position group that they have.
1: So Rob Duncan uh, in the in the live YouTube chat, kind of throwing a, a a type of comment that we're all thinking about. And I guess this is maybe where we, we could end this since we're going a little long, but if Bates was on another team, everyone would know his name. Hope that theory isn't tested. Of course, talking about the fact that he hits free agency next year, he has yet to sign a contract extension with the Bengals. And there was kind of some interesting verbal sparring, I guess in some level or, or another uh, by, by Bates and his camp uh, about not getting a deal done. Where, where, where are we at? Where's your confidence level at in terms of the Bengals getting something done here? I think as I sit here right now, John, I'm looking at, you know, unfortunately franchise tag next year, and maybe, maybe not something that works out beyond that, but things can change as we know, what are you feeling?
2: It's kind of interesting. We're on the one-year anniversary of Joe Mixon's contract extension. There was a lot of talk last August about whether or not they were going to get that done. There was some cryptic tweets from Mixon's uh, Twitter account. We weren't really sure if things were going in the right direction, but at the end of the day, he's Joe Mixon. The, The front office loves him. He's one of the more talented players. And they got a deal done because that's typically what they do with these players. Very rarely do they draft and develop a guy like Jesse Bates and they don't pay him it happened to jo- to Jonathan Joseph i think is like the only main example of a guy who was worth that extension and that they tried to get it done like they didn't try really to get it done with Kevin Zeiler like they basically lowballed the hell out of him and they knew that he was going to test the market someplace else they are trying to get this done with Jesse Bates and they have a history of succeeding when they do try so we have 10 more days until the regular season happens. They are on the clock. They are in the final days of this countdown. But this time next week, it's entirely possible that they have a deal set in mm-hmm. stone. Like mm-hmm. it may not look like what Jamal Adams got with Seattle. It may look closer to what Harrison Smith got with Minnesota, who got mm-hmm. sixty four million off of four years, so sixteen an average of sixteen, with a lot more manageable in terms of the guaranteed money and the signing bonus. Obviously, yep. Harrison Smith is a veteran. And this is like his third contract, or whatever, but there is a market set for Jesse Bates. There is a timeline that's established with what they usually do. It's always around this this time of year, right before the season. This is the time to expect it. And if it doesn't, he'll be back next year under the franchise tag, and we'll worry about it in July next year.
1: Uh, you, you brought up the Harrison Smith contract. That's, that's where I was kind of going to go a little bit with that. Obviously, he, Jamal Adams, and Justin Simmons have all signed uh, notable safety contracts that undoubtedly – Bates' camp is using as, as barometers for what he will be wanting there. So um, we uh, we're gonna we're gonna see what happens there. But that's it for the for the safety group. Again, not too much to talk about because there's not a ton to worry about so far this year. And uh, I've got I've got a guest co-host coming in and saying <laughs> hi. Tom. I don't know if you saw saw that there, but let's drop the mic and get on out of here. That's probably the cue. Uh, what, what do you got for us?
2: What am i supposed to say when when regan cassenza himself ap- appears on the youtube stream like
1: demand the middle. I, 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 I might as well be playing
2: third fiddle now like <laughs> there, there, there's 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 nothing there's nothing to say to that like no i'm i'm, I'm good
1: <laughs> uh yeah i just I didn't expect expect him to come in there but uh I, I his mane is flowing we gotta cut that poor kid's hair good lord um well, that's blasphemous yeah i guess i guess he's it's starting to get to Thor-like levels there, it's it's unbelievable. But uh, you know, I I don't I don't have uh, too much either, except for that we will be having a big roundtable show with John, myself, Ace, Zim, Matt Minnick, just talking about all kinds of different things on Friday afternoon to kick off your Labor Day weekend. We're excited about that. Um, we do have a special interview coming up. We can't say with whom quite yet but we have a very special interview coming up with someone uh, associated with the Cincinnati Bengals and that will be dropping next week so we're excited about that that's about all i can say at this point on that but we've got some more stuff coming to you and then of course we've got our our usual stuff next week as well and it's been it's been a whirlwind past 5 6 weeks by the way john Uh, We will be getting prizes out. We did not forget. We will be getting prizes out to some of the donors who donated to that Charity Palooza thing we did, uh, benefiting the Munoz Foundation, the Ken Riley Foundation, and the Ken Anderson Alliance. So um, we'll be notifying people of that, too. So kind of more just announcements on my end for Drop the Mic. We always love good teas. Always love (laughs) good teas. (laughs) yes we do yes we do and i think that's going to do it for us on this week's wednesday show we will see you friday with the rest of the cincy jungle podcast gang and we hope you have a great rest of your week we'll talk to you in a couple days john uh take it easy bud
2: i will talk to you then man
1: all right